Welcome to The Universe in a Glass, the podcast where we trade drinks with friends and share the stories behind our favorite beverages. Uh, as always, we are joining you from the historic Line Hotel in the heart of Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C., and we are irrationally excited to be joined today uh, by a good friend, Emmy Award-winning broadcaster, local institution, Un Yang. Uh, that, Irrationally is very correct. Oh uh, yes, yes. Um, I, I think it's I think it's a rational rational excitement mixed with irrational exuberance. Um, she just celebrated her twentieth anniversary at WRC TV NBC Four uh, in Washington D.C. She anchors the city's number one rated morning show. She's covered everything from inaugurations to papal visits to Olympic games while indulging her passion for food and drink as one of uh, our local restaurant industry's greatest champions. Uh, did I miss anything? <laughs> that was a lot. Oh, thank okay. you, Bill. It's very sweet. <laughs> My pleasure. My pleasure. Um, thank you again for joining us. Uh, for those of you listening for the first time, the premise is simple here. We uh, have each brought a wine to share with one another. Uh, Un uh, brought a classic Galician Alborino. Uh, I've responded in kind with uh, some local juice, uh, a local Alborino from some friends out of Westminster, Maryland. We'll taste through them both uh, while uh, riffing about life and wine along the way, and then I will close things out with a bit of verse dedicated to one. That'll be my favorite part. Uh, <laughs> and, and hopefully we won't bore uh, our listeners uh, to, to tears for the sake of the verse. Um, at any rate, uh, if you like the sound of what we're drinking, both wines will be available for sale at Reveler's Hour, uh, which is our restaurant, Washington's premier wine and pasta bar, uh, located directly across the street from our very studio. Um, and before we dive into wine number one, um, which I'll introduce forthrightly. I uh, just wanted to kick things off with a, a more general interest question about your food and wine journey. What is uh, your first kind of formative food or drink memory? So I grew up in a Korean household. I'm Korean American. My parents are immigrants. And food is just part of everything we do. It is our love language. It is certainly my connection with my culture because I was so young when I came to this country. I was three. And you were you were born in Seoul, though. I was born in Seoul, came when I was three, and all my memories are connected to my mother Korean, cooking Korean food, especially stews, kuk, which is between a soup and a stew of various um, miso, as you would know it, like tenjang is the Korean word for it, with gochujang, which people now use for so many different products. But when I was growing up, that was so very Korean. And there, there weren't a lot of white people at the H-Mart. when None. Uh, yeah. Zero. Korean corner, it was almost, you know, looking back, I wasn't as proud as I should have been. I didn't know anything. I was a kid growing up in an American suburb wanting to be like every other kid, and that my mom was making soups and stews that were very pungent with rice every night, just about. It just seemed, like, unfair. Did you have the classic kind of, um, you know, immigrant kid at the lunch table experience of having difficulty trading your kimchi and, yes, you know, pungent stews? I do remember begging my mom not to send that for my lunch, and she actually listened to me. And oh, so wow. I got a boring turkey sandwich almost every day <laughs> and an apple. She, she got that she I got your mom's idea of what, you know, um, a classic American lunch lunchbox cuisine is like. And it's just a travesty because if I had known then what I know now, and of course, I think every child who has a similar experience, I know this journey is not unique, goes back and says, I was so dumb. If I had only sat by my mother's side and learned how to make all these cooks, and I would be so much better Korean cook, because now I'm, I suck, because my mom is so good at it. But all those memories um, of wondering what the heck she was cooking, and why does it smell like this, and not being able to be proud then as I am now. Now, of course, I ask her to make every single stew and cook that I could think of. And so those are my memories and making kimchi, but other memories too. We're from Maryland. And so I remember her getting bushels of live crabs and oh, nice. steaming them in our house. So I have those memories as uh, was well. Was that with Old Bay or was there yes, kind of like a, okay. it was very simple. It's just yeah. steam with Old Bay and that was it. Put the newspaper out and it was a feast. And I remember that. And then barley tea, when you think about oh, drinks. So, oh, delicious. Yeah, so Koreans uh, drink Oh, we serve iced or hot? Lot. So she would drink both, but okay. I loved it iced. Yeah. So I love that you even know that it's iced. Oh, uh, it's delicious. Yeah, so barley tea, puricha, she would cook, 
and then we would refrigerate it, and that was our iced tea. But nice. no sweetener. It is not sweet at all. We don't put sweetener in any of our well, tea. Well, I think, I mean, the cool thing about the barley tea is it has this, like, maltiness about it, so the yes. sweetness is kind of, like, uh, redundant. It's still one of my favorite drinks. Like, awesome. cold barley tea It's just, it reminds me so much of my mom and comfort, and I try to make it at home, and the first time I burned the, <laughs> burned the tea, and it tasted so bad, and I thought, this is terrible. I've got, after all these years, I still can't make it as well as my mom. Oh, yeah, I, I, I feel like you'll kind of be in that position for... for the, right, for the, right, yeah. right. It's never good I mean, enough. Can you ever make anything no, as well, sure? No, yeah, of course yeah, not, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, was wine a part of that equation at all? Did your parents drink wine with no, food? No, uh, so I, my, I love wine, and I had to learn that on my own as uh-huh. an adult. You know, they d- weren't drinkers. They did yeah. not drink anything, um, yeah. really. You know, it was the barley tea, a yeah. lot of water, um, and we weren't even allowed to have Kool-Aid. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, we, were, we weren't allowed to have Kool-Aid or Tang or all the drinks, you know, that I think about other people talking about growing up. Um, no soda, for sure. No Crystal Light. Um, I do remember she would make certain drinks for medicinal purposes. Oh, cool. So that's it. So the wine thing, I but had to come to it even on my the, own. Even the medicinal wines were, were non-alcoholic. Non-alcoholic. Or, or medicinal exactly, tinctures, Exactly, right, yeah. right, herbal. Okay. Um, well, I mean, that, that is, there's no, you know, tradition of, of Western, long tradition of Western wine with, with Korean food. I mean, they're local fermentables, but. Right. Um, yeah. Wouldn't necessarily be grapes. Yes. So I'm glad, right, there's no history of that. So yeah. I, it makes sense now, but I didn't know. You know, I just well, thought. And, and um, honestly, you know, having, you know, Korean food is, is one of my favorite cuisines. And the, the fun thing about it for the sake of wine is that there's this, you know, tabula rasa. You can kind of do whatever you want. There's no, you know, Western tradition of if it grows together, it goes together. You know, with Korean food, you can just kind of have fun. And, you know, it just so happens that some of my favorite styles of wine work with Korean food. Really See, deeply. now I feel like I know you're supposed to ask me questions, but what <laughs> have you discovered with Korean food goes well? Because I like my Korean food spicy. It's not always all spicy. There's a sweet component to a lot of the marinades, but I like the spice. Oh, I, like the, I like the heat, too, and I, lo- I love the funk of Korean yes. food. You know, the, you know, that lacto-ferment, mm-hmm. you know, kind of dimension. And, you know, it's like... All that food's an umami bomb too, with like the bean paste and the. Oh my gosh, the kimchi, um, all the different varietals of kimchi. Everyone thinks it's one style. There are so many, so many ways to eat kimchi. Um, You know, Riesling is is one of my kind of uh, first loves with spicy food. And, um, you know, that goes for, you know, a lot of East Asian, Southeast Asian cuisines. And um, I think it's brilliant with with Korean food. And, um, you know, we've gotten to this point where the general public has been schooled in this idea that if they, you know, want to be taken seriously as, as wine lovers, they have to drink dry, dry, dry. Um, you know, they're, they're scared of the ghost of their, you know, older relative who drank white zin or whatever. <laughs> yes. and, um, you know, the, the sad thing is that, you know, that white zin is probably way better with, you know, Korean food than, you know, your average, you know, turley or, mm-hmm. um, you know, so the, those big, you know, bruising, you know, West Coast red wines that captured the market for a while. You know, that's not the kind of thing I want to I want to eat with. That's such a good you know, point. Especially. Yeah, I think that's important for what you're doing now, especially because so many of your wine lists add the you know, the rogue bills kind of version of something that's off the beaten path to tell people it's okay to drink these wines again. Because I think we're all, st- I think you're absolutely right. We're stuck in this, like, remember that movie, what was it, um, where you're not allowed to drink Merlot and everyone, yes. nobody wants to drink Merlot and nobody wants to yeah, drink that be, anything that would be sideways. You know, the great irony of that movie is he uh, kind of denigrates Merlot, but ultimately the, the wine he drinks, you know, as this religious experience with a burger out of a styrofoam cup is, is heavily Merlot-derived. Cheval Blanc is one of the great, you know, right bank Bordeaux. So, you know, it's just Merlot in a particular context there. And, and I think you're right. We are moving to this moment where, you know, hopefully there's opening up and, you know, people should feel, you know, good about whatever they like. Uh, did you like that movie? I always wonder if wine um, people... I do. I do. I, I, as wine movies go, it is a very good uh, okay. wine movie. It, it is, belongs to a particular moment and... Um, you know, the protagonist is morally reprehensible, but, um, <laughs> I, I do, I do like that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and forgive me, I should have remembered the name. This is the end of my day for all the listeners out there. So I can't be held responsible uh, for anything I might say. That's, that's, uh, uh, that'll make it more exciting. Okay, you, uh, just, just to set everybody's, um, you know, expectations properly. When did the alarm ring for you today? 2.20 AM. Nice, nice. Middle of the night. Nice. Um, yeah, you're waking up with all the truck drivers and yeah, people yeah. who are just stumbling home. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Especially on a Thursday night. Um, uh, so it's a perfect moment for wine. Um, and, uh, uh, Un has brought, uh, a, an Albarino. Uh, this is from Northwestern Spain, uh, producers La Caña. And, 
Um, I'm curious how you uh, chose this particular bottle. I'm just going to be really honest with you. I drink a lot of Sauvignon Blanc. I drink a lot of more Chenin Blanc, and I like Albarino. I don't always order it, and it was in my refrigerator, and I thought, you know who could tell me more about this and whether I should be drinking more of it and which ones I should be drinking and when and how? Bill would know. So... Here it is. Oh, so this is a, a bit of an interrogation, too. It's very exciting. <laughs> exactly. I like to ask the questions. Uh, it, it's, it, does, is it hard to be on the other it side of the really interview? It really is. <laughs> I, when you told me that you were going to ask me some questions, I thought, okay, what kind of questions are they going to be? I, well, I, I like to be prepared, and so it makes me a little nervous when I have to ask questions about wine, especially because, to be honest, I just don't know a whole lot about it. Well, I really rely on people like you to help me pick the wines that I like to drink. Well, I'm honored. Now, yeah. um, uh, let's... Let's taste this one and give people a sense of, you know, kind of what it tastes like. Uh, and um, uh, I'll, let you, I'll let you take a sip and, and I'll, I'll fill in with a little bit of, um, you know, kind of background info while, okay. you, while you grab a sip. All right. So you wine. have to do more of the talking on the wine part, though. No, no. But okay. you got you to tell me what you think it tastes like. Because I, so I, I, I strongly believe that, you know, everybody has their own experience of a wine. It's highly subjective. And, and you know, uh, that description of taste, you can make your own, whether... Um, it's something you do for a living or whether it's mm. something you just do, you know, for, you know, shits and giggles at home. Yeah. Now, um, this is uh, from this Atlantic region of Spain, um, from Green Spain, Galicia. Uh, the region is Rias Baixas, uh, which is the low uh, rivers, essentially, um, these uh, estuaries that empty uh, west into the Atlantic. And uh, it's this, like, mother rock for the sake of the Iberian Peninsula. It's hard granite soils, really poor soils. And this grape in Albarino that uh, was historically important in Rias Baixas, but um, is just now emerging as this international brand. And uh, really, you know, before 1990, uh, there was no uh, Albarino stateside. And uh, this particular um, producer, La Caña, uh, refers to the canes along those low oh. uh, rivers. Yeah, the reeds. Um, this is a project of uh, Jorge Ordonez, and he deserves more credit than almost anyone else for introducing Americans to Spanish wine. Is that uh, right? Yes. And, uh, of course, you, have, you know these things. You did well, your I mean, homework? Uh, uh, of course, of course. Um, and, uh, you know, this wine, to my mind, has really taken off. And uh, you know, to your point about being a Sauvignon Blanc lover, being... Um, you know, Chenin Blanc lover, this does a lot of things that those varietals do. They do, it does. What do you, what do you like about it? Huh? Right, I, I agree. I think it's very drinkable. It's very easy. Um, it's, I feel like, dry enough, but not too dry. No, I think, I think that's great. So, you know, something that, no, those, those are all, those are amazing, those are amazing <laughs> descriptors. Um, uh, you know, well, Remember well the lack of sleep. <laughs> no, no, it's beautiful. I think, I think, you know, to your point, though, what this wine also does well is, you know, it's kind of a wine that you can turn off to. You know, it's, you know, wildly refreshing, uh, which is important at the end of a, a long week. We're, I we're taping agree. Here, I agree. Taping here on Friday, and you've endured a full slate of, you know, 2 o'clock a.m. Yes. Uh, alarms. Uh, Thank and, you. That's very kind, Bill. Please explain to your viewers. <laughs> no, 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 no. But uh, I, I, like, I like that about it. You know, it, it's kind of... You know, a wine that it, it over delivers, but is relatively undemanding uh, for the sake of, of what it offers. And uh, so people will say about Albarino a lot, they'll cite, you know, this like precocious tropical fruit. So mm. they'll say like apricot, peach. Yes. What do you yes. get? I definitely agree with that, yeah. especially after you say it. I believe myself to be a lover of words, but when it comes to wine, you are the word person, <laughs> and so I feel like I have a lack of, but apricot peach, 100%. I'm like, what is that fruit? But that is that exactly it. Yeah, yeah, it's just, like, it's got that, like, uh, exuberant stone fruit, you know, but, like, really ripe, mm -hmm. kind of at the height of summer, and, you know, you'll even get this, like, tropical dimension from some of these wines, but then it, you know, to me, always makes this turn, so, you know, I'll up that lushness up front, but then... On the back end, it's like racy and lean and salty and that, you know, granitic soil, you know, comes to bear um, and you get something that, you know, tastes like the sea um, in, you know, a really, you know, pardon, uh, evocative way um, that, you know, kind of transports you to, um, you know, the place of, of origins for the sake of this wine. Did you make that up? I did. I did <laughs> this is all. That this is, is amazing. This is all extemporaneous. I, um, how do you learn to do that? Just, I mean, besides drinking wine, do you feel like with each variety you taste, you are adding to your um, vocabulary or your knowledge, or, and does it, ch it change with each one? Yeah, I, th I think, honestly, what I do, you know, first and foremost is, is I use words, you know, for a living, just like you do, you know. For you, it's, it's you know, local news. For me, it's, it's wine. So I think, 
And, and you've talked about yourself, um, you know, having done a little background, you know, research for this uh, interview, you know, having that gift of gap and just being able to fill empty space and, and time. And I feel like that's a, you know, that's the place I start at, you know, more so even than, than wine. Wine is just kind of like, you know, this universe that I've, I've chosen to explore for the, for the sake of that. But so you would have to have that gift to be a sommelier? I don't think, think you have to. I think there, I think there's psalms that do the job in different ways. You know, yeah. I, I am a lover of words. I'm a lover yeah. of, you know, literature and, you know, so that's the angle that I take. There are, you know, nerdier psalms that, you know, aren't quite as florid tableside, but, you know, I think to some, you know, to some degree, the good ones, yeah. You know, you, you have to be able to, you know, kind of build confidence tableside and translate something that is, you know, not you know, linguistically driven into a set of metaphors that are relatable uh, for your for your guest table side. And, yeah. you know, historically, that job was kind of different than it is now. Um, you know, I think historically, you know, that job was, you know, about enforcing, you know, certain social strata and orthodoxies and yeah. stuff like that. And I think more and more people in this industry, hopefully, are, are trying to blow that up um, and invite more people in and, you know, um, you know, make wine and make the kind of universal things about it for the sake of the way it translates this experience of taste, you know, bring that to audiences that haven't been able to uh, enjoy it as much before and make sure that everybody feels kind of invited to that party. I think that is, it's, I think it's so important. And I really feel like once you say it, I, I couldn't think of the words, but once you've said the description, I'm like, oh, that's exactly it. But I could have never come up with that, that description. No, no, but no. once you sound like, that is exactly what I taste. But I couldn't have told you on the backside, it tastes like this. I'm like, that's it. But, I mean, that's why you do what you do, and I do what I do. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, I will say um, sommeliers love tasting with other people for the same reason that, you know, you probably like hearing a, a co-anchor, you know, yeah. deliver the news. Because, you know, you will steal you know, mm -hmm. bits and pieces of mm -hmm. their delivery, you know, cadences, phrases, stuff like that. And uh, for the sake of tasting wine, I, I do find it illuminating uh, to, to be able to do that now. Very cool. Um, uh, if this was a, uh, I warned you about this question. Uh, uh -oh. If you had a local news headline for oh. this particular offer, what would... It, <laughs> oh, no. Would, it doesn't have to be sensationalist. Right, it doesn't have right. to be like... A, um, Spanish wine... Take summer by storm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, nice. No, that's, that's, that's beautiful. I love, I love that. I could see that. Put on me on the, the spot. Uh, right. what, would the what would the graphic be? Right, for exactly. That? I wanna... and then, right, what would it be? It would have to be some kind of tornado shaped yes. wine yeah. glass or yeah. the wine in a tornadic um, form format or something. I, I love it. Um, I was going to say that uh, you're kind of at a bit of a deficit uh, for the sake of exploring your love of food and wine, for the sake of, you know, being a, a, a morning anchor, uh, it's not an hour at which, you know, most working folk, um, you know, like to throw back wine. Do you lament that at all for the I sake of your... I do. Yeah. I lament it because I often think if I didn't have to get up so early, I could probably enjoy it more. Now, that doesn't mean I don't indulge. I was just telling you, even last night I had a um, few tastes of different, some different wines. But then I'm not, I'm going to feel like crap in the morning, so I know it's a slippery slope if I enjoying wine and I stay up a little too late past my bedtime and I have to be coherent in the morning yeah. and intelligent and engaging, it might, it's not a good combination. So I wait till Friday afternoon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my yeah. five o'clock is a lot earlier than other people's five o'clock. Nice, nice. Well, and it, it seems like the kind of job, it would be hard to mail it in uh, or suffer through. I really try to, just I imagine we have that in common. I try not to ever, and I can attest, I I'm not trying to brag. I just can't phone it in. I can't do yeah. it. That's just not in my culture, in my yeah. being. I can't do it. Um, how has your love of food and drink informed your work at NBC4? I know uh, you did host a, uh, a seminal local <laughs> program uh, devoted to uh, Washington's food scene. Uh, so I, I got like various names. Actually, there's, there's still uh, there's an episode online uh, that uh, I was able to revisit. I was really excited about that. Um, uh, but that iteration was, um, it was like foodies. Years ago. Foodies, well, right. Yeah, it was, it was nonstop foodies. Nonstop foodies, yes. Non we foodies. had a yeah. whole uh, nonstop channel dedicated to different programming. Oh, and cool. foodies aired on that. Um, very sad to see that program go, but 
I won an Emmy Award for hosting that show, which was wonderful, very proud of it. And I, I don't know how I became this unofficial food lover of the station, but I think it truly came from the fact that I love food and exploring different kinds of foods and wanting to support local restaurants. Like instead of going to a chain, I wanted to see whatever new restaurants were popping up. And we were very fortunate because DC, as you know, went through this huge transformation where we used to, you only had like a steakhouse and an expensive French restaurant. I grew up here, so I remember. And then, I don't want to name names, and then all these other not so great mediocre chain restaurants. And so they were, there wasn't a lot of options. And then all of a sudden, all these restaurants started popping up. We started to understand that chefs were using local farmers and then the whole farm to table concept and that word. And, um, trying to do something different and unique with different cuisines and culture. And we just went through an incredible transformation. I saw it with my own eyes having grown up here and it was so exciting to me. So I wanted to try everything. Oh, that's awesome. And so I just started going out to eat and telling people what I liked and what my preferences were. And it turned into, well, because of what you do in terms of a communicator, we could make that something that can inform our viewers just the way you inform them about local news. We started this program, and it wasn't just about restaurants, it was about chefs and the food scene and neighborhoods and whatever at that time was exciting to me. And it just turned into something really fun. And I still do a little segment for Food Fair, which is yeah, awesome. not a whole show, but programs where, a little segments where I can highlight. We did a whole series on food from immigrants. So we, anyone who was cooking from uh, their home kitchen in a way from their background to bring that to their customers. We started doing a little bit of that and we're still working on different pro oh, that's projects. So cool. yeah. um, it was it was fun to revisit the old episode. Uh, it was one you were at uh, 2941. Which oh my is, gosh. Uh, this, you know, had been this kind of like bastion of, of fine dining um, in suburban Virginia, yes. but they, they were pivoting and, and trying to open up the menu and you were you're touring their new dining room. But uh, even, you know, more interesting to me, uh, they're... Uh, as a, a little segment devoted to Ann Pizza, which at that point was H and Pizza, yes, and subsequently became this like huge, you know, local regional chain. Yes, um, I remember the fledgling shop. Yeah, H yeah. and Pizza, and yeah. now it's everywhere. Yeah, and then uh, you have uh, Scott Giruno, formerly of the Source, um, who has you know since become. Um, with his uh, business partner, Jane Lee, this like huge force in the, in the right. local restaurant I industry. I joke but, with them. They, yeah. they're, they're moguls now. I mean, they are what? proper moguls. <laughs> um, uh, and, and just, uh, I mean, it should be said for both of them, just two of the loveliest people you would ever want to meet. Um, and, you know, Danny, in spite of his success, hasn't changed a lick. And, a lick. And he's someone I, you know, he forced me to, he introduced me to my forced um, kimchi back. Have you ever had a kimchi back? Of course I've had a kimchi yeah. back. I think Danny is the one who made me do it too. Well, yes, like, I'm yes, not so. into kimchi. He's like, oh, you got to do a kimchi so, back. So uh, for the uninitiated, kimchi kimchi back is uh, like a pickleback. So pickleback is a shot of whiskey followed by a shot of pickle brine. Uh, kimchi back is a shot of whiskey followed with a shot of kimchi brine. And Ooh. it is... It is delicious. It is, but be careful. If it catches your throat in the wrong way, you're yeah. gonna, it's going to hurt. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but uh, it was kind of fun to revisit that. I mean, the, this is like circa oh, 2013. And, oh, my gosh. And the production value back then was very low. I was, I was impressed. Were you impressed? I was, I was okay, impressed. good. Yeah, it was yeah. really just my producer and it's my producer and myself trying to string this together. And we did, it really was a labor of love. And we made it, I think regardless of what it looked like in the end, we did it with such love that I hope the message and the information translated to our viewers. No, it, was, it was awesome. Yeah, I mean, the, the only thing that felt dated, so you have like multiple correspondence, which is really cool. The only thing that felt dated is you were interviewing a bartender and you had like a wired mic. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I think in the intervening two, you know, uh, in the intervening decade, you know, we've, we've moved beyond, you know, the wired mic, you know, moment for the sake of bartender interviews. I really try not to use a handheld mic. Every once in a while, if something is not right with the wire, you'll still have to go old school. Yeah. It still works. Yeah. So, well, yeah. I mean, and I feel like the mic feels such like a, a seminal part, particularly of the local news Right, broadcast. right, because you'd have the flag, the ID flag that said yeah. which station yeah, and what exactly. network, right? It was yeah. a peacock or it was an eye, yeah. um, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost like your baton, mm -hmm, you know? Mm -hmm. um, it's an identifier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now exactly. I don't want to use one at all. But. Yeah. Well, you've, I mean, you're at the anchor desk now. So I yes, feel like you I have graduated of, from yes, yeah. field reporting. Although I still like to cover stories and still like to go out in the field and uh, tell stories. And I think that 
all the best anchors want to be storytellers first. So yeah. I think it still goes together. Um, now, uh, you've been to, you covered two Olympics, including uh, one um, in South Korea. Yes. Um, what was that experience like, and did you get to kind of explore oh the local food culture while you were um, on, on duty? You're going to be disappointed because I worked so much. Yeah. I had very little time to eat, and it really is so sad to be in the motherland and not being able to eat as much Korean food as I'd like. Having said that, going to Korea... Um, where I was born and where my parents were born. And I mean, now they've lived longer in this country than they did there, but that's their mother country as well. To see the people come together to try to put on this incredible event on the world stage with so much pride, the amount of people who volunteered for free to come to Pyeongchang, which is not in Seoul, it's away, it's like a mountain resort area. But there were women and men who decided they wanted to volunteer because they wanted all the international athletes, press, and guests to know how incredible Korea was. The amount of national pride and effort to say, hey, we're gonna put on the Olympics like you've ever seen, it was wonderful. I had so much pride in my people. Uh, the, the kind of stories where I would say, if you didn't speak English, I mean, if you didn't speak Korean and you were waiting for a taxi. Do you speak Korean? I do speak Korean. Yeah. Um, but for a, a different, um, what they call Western correspondent, waiting for a taxi, if they didn't speak yeah. any Korean, they were having trouble with their Google Translate, there were stories about so many local Koreans who would go out of their way to get in the taxi, made sure that person oh, wow. was getting to where they were going, take time out of the day, because that they just didn't want that person to be lost. Yeah. I just, those kind of anecdotes from different people made me just so proud. I feel like there's this enormous civic pride in Korea. I can oh, remember reading these, reading these stories about uh, these watch parties for the World Cup in South Korea. Yes. And, um, you know, you're dealing with you know, hundreds of thousands, you know, of people watching game in public places. And... Uh, at the end of the watch party, um, there's this moment where uh, everyone gets up and everyone uh, does this kind of leave no trace clearing of yes. trash. Uh, and and I, I was just like, I cannot imagine this happening stateside. 100%. Yeah. Well, that was one of the things everyone kept asking me. In Olympic Park and in the outdoor spaces and a lot of these venues, there were no public trash cans. And everyone kept asking, where are the trash cans? I said, well, in Korea, you're responsible for your own trash. You're not going to put it in a public trash can. So there were very few places. So you really are responsible. So it makes you think, what are you going to pack with you when you go out? Are you going to carry a reusable container? And I learned so much more about my culture and how environmentally aware that this yeah. culture is. And they really want to minimize trash and make sure that people are take, taking responsibility for themselves. And which was wild to see. Nobody could find a trash can oh, wow. in these massive public spaces. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. uh, but everybody just claimed their own shit. They had to. <laughs> like, well, what are you going to do with it, right? Yeah. You know, like sneak it into someone else's bag, you know? Um, have you subsequently been back? I actually read that um, uh, the Olympics was your, your second your time in, in Korea. Yeah, so I, you know, unfortunately, I think growing up, we didn't have the means to go back a lot. Yeah. And then I went as a, like, post-college um, like a roots trip. Yes, with my sister. And we oh, did, cool. And we did that. And even now, the country has changed so much. I mean, yeah. my mom's memory of it's like a third world country. She oh, grew wow. up poor. Where, where in Korea did she, she grow up? She was in Seoul, too. Okay. But, you know, she was born during the Korean War. And so oh, wow. her mother remembers there, there were bunkers and there yeah. was a lack of food. And the story she tells makes me even more grateful for the amount of food that I get to eat and love. Um, she tells me this one story. Oh, it just gets to me because in Korea, there are a couple of major holidays and it's not Christmas. It's not Thanksgiving. Um, one of them is Chuseok, which is like the harvest. And one of them is Children's Day, which they really celebrate children. And on that day, she said they didn't have a lot of fancy foods or what they called luxury foods, but on Children's Day, she had a steaming bowl of white rice in that metal container. You know what I'm talking yeah. about. If you've been in a Korean restaurant, and on top of it was a fresh fried egg. And to her, that egg on rice, which to us is like a late night snack any day, yeah. but for her, that was a special meal that she got to eat that on Children's Day when she was a very young girl and they didn't have a lot of money. Yeah. And so I think we go through cartons of eggs like it's nothing. Yeah. And for her, that egg was meaningful and special. And I, every time I eat an egg, I think about my mother and how, how if we approached how we eat with such reverence and um, honor and this idea that it's special every time we eat, how much more we'd enjoy our food and waste, not waste as much. 
Yeah, um, yeah, that's incredibly powerful. Right? Thank oh. you for sharing that. Um, I don't know, there's no segue for that, um, uh, <laughs> but um, I, I do feel like uh, Albarino would be a solid pairing for the, yeah, uh, they, <laughs> yeah, it's very children's. Good segue. Very children's. You could be in a news anchor, Bill. <laughs> very children's day appropriate uh, for, the, for the sake of that. Um, what kinds of things do you, I, th I think this wine succeeds uh, largely because it's something you can just throw back, you know, right. after, after a long week on its own, but what kind of things would you want to eat with this? Oh my goodness. Um, right now it's summer, so any kind of tomato dish. Oh, good call. Right? Yeah, yeah, something Does that like bright sense? acid driven. Yeah. I, I, like, I like where your okay, head's good. at. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, like, yeah. Like, I, I want fresh things. You yeah. know, this doesn't feel like, you know, for the mass of, we keep taking it back to like Korean food, but for a lot of Korean food to me, this is a little, you know, kind of thin. Uh, um, yeah, I don't think it would work for no, Korean food. Yeah, yeah, agreed, yeah. agreed. There, it's, Korean food is just like such big flavors, you know? It really is a lot to take. Yeah, That's why yeah. I feel like. It's, there's so much going on, like you said, the umami, yeah. it can be salty, it can be spicy, there's sweetness, um, and it's a lot. So yeah. it's not for everyone, and I understand that. If you don't like it, you're missing out, but I do get it. I <laughs> do you, get it. If you there. don't like it, you're wrong, right. but... <laughs> <laughs> but I get you. I appreciate you. <laughs> um, uh, at any rate, uh, just to kind of pivot for the sake yes. of, of my contribution. So, yes. Um, you are, you know, this proud local product, and and, and, and it's not it's not coincidental. So uh, you uh, went to Montgomery County uh, High School, Paint Branch, as mm -hmm. yes. I, uh, I went go to, Panthers. Uh, I, I'm a I'm a baron of myself. So I went to Bethesda Chevy Chase uh, High School. Why did I not know until this moment that you went to BCC? Yeah, of all yeah, the yeah. conversations we've had at both the restaurants, I know, I know. You went to BCC. Well, what did you what did you awesome. think of uh, this? So you can kind of. Uh, Tune out if you have no knowledge of local high school. Sorry, but, right. But what's, uh, what did the Paint Branch kids think of uh, the BCC kids? BCC kids were a little bit more upscale. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, we had Chevy Chase in the name. That's right, not fair. I mean, right. it's like, it feels you, like very like English manorial. Right, and then right. like Bethesda is, you know, um, I mean, it's biblical, but, you know, fittingly Hebraic, you know, for the sake of, you know, uh, and, and NIH is there. So you have this, you know, um, doctor, lawyer, uh, class there, I and mean, you know that my dad's a lawyer, so mm -hmm. um, it is it is surprisingly diverse um, uh, in the sense that um, you know part of the district stretches into Silver Spring, and, and um, you know Bethesda is more diverse than people give it credit for. Right, and, and, and it's become more diverse, just yeah. like Paint, I mean, Paint Branch was always diverse. We joke that Paint Branch is down county, and BCC Whitman they were all, all up county That's schools. Fair. That's entirely but, fair, but um, it's become even more. I think BCC is has a much more what people would say is definitely more diverse and more city feel than it ever had yes. been. Yeah. Well, and, and, and Bethesda is very much, you know, a suburb, but it is this like bustling little like downtown yeah. and mm -hmm. it's it, crazy. Like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, going back there, it's, it's wildly different than it was when I graduated like so you know, two decades here? ago. Have you lived here the whole time? Uh, I went to school outside of the area, but, gotcha. uh, okay. um, uh, cause I'm from here and I, I, I never I've left. tried to leave, but you never tried. To I leave. never left. Yeah. And it's not necessarily that I, planned my life this way. I don't think best laid plans, as you know how it goes. Yes. Uh, but all the opportunities led me in this direction. You know, my family's here. And like I said, I've always felt like I had to and not take care of them. I don't know how to say it, but when you're a daughter, first daughter of immigrants, uh, I just felt like I had to be close to home for them just oh, in case they needed something from me. You, you never dreamed of, I mean, Washington's a big market. Don't get me wrong, but yes. you know, it's not a major market on right. the like uh right. you know kind of broadcasting scale did you, did you ever dream I, of that i you did know? i turned down a job in new Shut york up. i turned it down i had an opportunity and it just you know you say trust your gut yeah. so we were going up looking for housing and i just i don't know it didn't feel right and so i turned it down you would have killed it i, I turned it down you would have killed it so there yeah. you go there's my story and you know what i don't have any regrets i yeah. really um felt like something was telling me that this was a better move to stay and they offered me a great deal here and so here I am at wow. NBC. Yep. That's that's insane. Um, so it felt very fitting to feature local wine uh, mm -hmm. to, to my mind um, and uh, this one is near and dear to my heart so um, uh, you taste and you, you okay. get to you get to you know be on the hook again. So for, can I for ask you? Yeah. So you worked at Comey, which everyone knows is one of the finest restaurants. Well, so yeah, for the, the uninitiated Comey. Um, which uh, sadly has not uh, reopened post-pandemic, but uh, it was this you know, hugely celebrated uh, kind of bastion of fine dining, but in, in a lovably approachable way, not necessarily the, the price point, but the gestalt of the place. And, and I <laughs> cut my teeth there as a server and then became the, 
um, kind of uh, service director and, and wine guru uh, for that restaurant and its sister restaurant, Little Sarah. But yes. uh, did you, you saying, ever dream of? Did you ever think that you were going to? So you did a different way, and you opened up your own place w with Jill and John. But did you ever think you would go to a New York or San Francisco? Because DC wasn't created, yeah, wasn't question. necessarily the food town it is now, and people didn't necessarily think of DC as a dining destination that it is now. Uh, that's that's a, equally a fair question. I, I didn't, you know, I was just kind of flying by the seat of my pants. I, I didn't have a a sense of what I wanted to be when I grew up, mm -hmm. and you know, it's not like anyone goes to a career day and says, you know, at six or seven, I want to pour wine for a living when I grow up, so... I think that might change. <laughs> <laughs> Kids are really yeah, sophisticated yeah, no, it's, no, now. It's, that's, that's true. It's very true. But uh, I, I will say that I, I just kind of stumbled into it all. And if I, you know, was rationally pursuing restaurants as a career, I have no doubt that, you know, I might have pursued, um, you know, service in a larger market. But I will say at the end of the day, what excites me about wine you know, isn't necessarily tied to, you know, serving it in a larger market. You know, I have access to a lot of really amazing juice, as much, you know, awesome wine as they do in any other place right. in, in, the, in the country. And, you know, the, the thing that, you know, separates New York and, and San Francisco is the, you know, the wealth, honestly. So yeah. the kind of wine that you have access to that you're opening on a regular basis is, you know, add, add a zero. Uh, and... You know, if you are, you know, kind of in a particular, you know, niche for the sake of sommeliers and you want to be taken seriously and you want to taste old wine and you want to learn about these classic archetypes that are outside of the budget of most mere mortals now, that's kind of the only place to be. Yeah. But, you know, that's never where my wine love, um, you know, kind of landed uh, either. So I, I was more, always more excited about, you know, the, you know, resurgent Albarino market or, you know, Albarino in Maryland. So it, it, it felt like I didn't have to in, engage yeah. that to kind of further explore. Um, I, I never got a New York offer that I, <laughs> that I turned down and, you know, equally, you know. Maybe if, I feel like you would have if you'd gone, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's one yeah, of those yeah, things. Yeah. Well, but now, would you have been able to do the things you do now in terms of creating like a funky wine list or well, opening so, up like the Canary Islands? You've yeah. ne I've never had a wine from Canary Islands until I think I, met I, think you. I could have in a. I think I definitely could have in a in a different market. And you mm. know, um, you know, you find uh, a community of folks that are receptive to exploring wine with you and kind of um, uh, trust. You know your your curatorial you know voice, mm -hmm. but. That takes a while to develop too, and and, and I developed it in, in DC, and I didn't want to relearn all that. And um, you know, you're speaking earlier, or we were just trading thoughts earlier about you know the community of wine professionals who kind of you know bring opportunities your way, and and I'm I'm very much plugged into that here, and uh, I'm equally proud to be you know yes. in in an, in and of this this place, and and wouldn't trade it for the world. You know, right. um, there are you know uh, some hard things about about living here, and I think especially post. Um, you know, January 6th, you know, we, a little bit of the, you know, um, luster has, has come off the city. And I think there's just still this, you know, kind of, you know, kind of nervous energy um, uh, about, about the nation's capital. Um, and we've lost some of that, like, Obama-era shine. But, um, you know, I'm equally confident that, you know, the federal government as employer is not going anywhere. And, um, you know, the city continues to be a place that attracts you know, idealistic young people and uh, people from all walks of life. And, and that deserves celebrating. And a lot of those people, you know, realize that it's really hard to change the world. But, you know, the restaurant industry is a pretty cool place to work. So. It really is. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I, we're both where we're supposed to be. Then, yeah. Right yeah, here yeah. in D.C. That's, that's, that's the hope. So yeah. um, for the sake of this particular yes. wine, uh, any, any thoughts having taken a step? Definitely sharper than the other one. Uh -huh. I don't know if the right, that's the right adjective. Is that a good word to use? But definitely sharper. You could definitely sense the difference when I, as soon as I tasted it. Sharper is a great word. So that has everything to do with how this wine is made. So the first wine we tried um, is old vine, uh, older vine Albarino. And uh, Jorge's uh, Ordonias, the gentleman making uh, that uh, Spanish Galician wine from Green Spain, um, only works with vines planted uh, before like 1990. That's his whole shtick, is he wants to work with old vines. And then um, because he likes the, you know, as, as vines age, as people, you know, they get more interesting, more complex. They have, you know, 
um, more dynamic stories to tell, uh, and the quality of food gets a little more dense and, and, and concentrated. And uh, equally to kind of buttress that, that density, he ages a portion of this wine in oak, um, and extensively on what's called the leaves, which are uh, dead yeast left over after fermentation, which sounds like an, an odd thing to trumpet, but uh, that lees aging gives it additional richness on the palate. Okay. Um, and so, you know, he is after a style that is a little more kind of voluminous and, and round. Um, the Old Westminster is made differently. So obviously, this is a wine from Maryland. Um, yes, Maryland does make wine. Uh, for I those didn't of you know they made an Albarino, though. Uh, uh, so a uh, funny thing. So the, Maryland's the 23rd largest uh, wine-producing state in the country uh, between Idaho and Illinois. I was going to say, there are 23 states in the United States <laughs> uh, that produces wine? Uh, all 50 states produce wine, actually. Yeah. All 50 states all 50 produce states. wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't even believe that. I know, I know. Uh, it might not all be worth drinking, but they right, all okay. they all, they all make it. They all check the box. Now, um, uh, it makes about a fifth of Virginia's production, um, and uh, this should all be um, understood in context because California dwarfs everyone. California right. makes about 85% of the wine that, that comes out sense, of the United right. States. So uh, it is a thin sliver. Um, but... Um, they do have a, a, a vibrant wine industry, and uh, this is a small family, and basically they planted grapes to save the family farm. Mm. Um, they were kind of trading ideas about how to um, keep their property in Westminster, Maryland, which is kind of um, like due north of D.C., uh, just west of, of Baltimore, and mom said, wouldn't it be nice to plant grapes? And uh, they opened their doors in June of 2013. Uh, it is three siblings that run the roost there. Uh, Lisa, Ashley, and Drew. Um, they are preposterously good looking and preposterously lovely, um, <laughs> almost annoyingly so. Um, uh, and uh, they are some of the, to my mind, most innovative um, you know, thinkers uh, locally for the sake of their wines because they're very much invested in experimentation with styles and grapes mm. like Albarino that aren't mm -hmm. commonly associated with the Mid-Atlantic. And then um, they're playing with different styles, too. So they're making wines like Petillon Naturel, Petnat, which is this mm -hmm. kind of um, old-fashioned fizzy wine. They're making Piquette, which is this, like, um, second-use farmer's wine. And they're playing with these, like, natural wine paradigms um, that, you know, have gained a lot of traction and um, are significant for the sake of opening up wine to different audiences and also making sure that, you know, we are in, in uh, responsible environmental stewards. Mm. And um, this particular offering uh, doesn't see any time in oak. It's all stainless. It's younger vines. Um, ah. And uh, it doesn't have that same uh, lees aging. Uh, so uh, it is, you know, by its very definition, kind of lighter and brighter. And it's, yes. it's, it's very astute that you, you picked up on that. Uh, you, you're being very generous. <laughs> but it does have a... a it, I, there are similarities, right? And mm -hmm. I've, I've tasted the similarities, but also... Um, it's clear when you said the the lack of oakiness is that yeah 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 okay. yeah and I wouldn't I wouldn't call the first wine oaky at all so oak is is a funny thing in in wine you know oak doesn't always necessarily bring an overt oak signature to the mm -hmm. party sometimes it just softens the rough edges yeah, it's maybe, an oxidative yeah. vessel and so yeah it, I'm not saying yeah I guess it didn't taste oaky like a chardonnay would taste yeah oaky. it just tastes kind of rounded Maybe that's what um, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yes. no, no, that's that's the very much on point. Okay. Very much on point. Um, <laughs> like I'm revealing the lack of knowledge. No, I have no, about you're wine. you're 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 killing it. You're killing it. You know, it's it's one of those like it's one of those like uh, I don't I don't want to infantilize you, but it's like children ask the best questions. So yes, sometimes they're good. Good. Sometimes no. I put the cart before the horse, and there the best go. questions are the simplest ones. Okay, so, good, good. Yeah, yeah, and and I think the initial impression of this is, is something sharper is is really uh, apropos. Um, I, I will say equally, um, just as a, a shameless, um, you know, kind of uh, bit of, um, you know, praise for, for the Baker family, uh, Drew actually has leukemia, um, and oh he's goodness. been this amazing and dynamic organizing force for the sake of, you know, people, um, you know, trying to make off-the-wall wines locally, and he's, you know, uh, organized this amazing summer solstice festival for um, like-minded winemakers on this new vineyard that they, they, they purchased, and, and they have actually several plots around Maryland. This comes from their home vineyard uh, in, in Westminster, uh, but uh, he is, he's still fighting that and, and actually hoping for um, a, uh, a bone marrow transplant from his, his sister Ashley. And, and so we want to... Is she a match? She is. Okay. And, and we want to we just send them both uh, all, all of our love because they've done you know, more than any producer uh, that I can think of locally, not only to make the local wine scene more dynamic and interesting, but build that, that sense of community yeah. around local wine. Do you drink much local wine, Yang? 
I'll be honest with you, I don't unless somebody gives it to me and I have an opportunity to taste it. I did go check out the, um, is it RDV? Yes, RDV, that's a Rucker de Vinc. Um, yes, yeah. I went down there uh, for a friend of mine had a birthday outing. What a great idea. We went down there and had some delicious wine and even purchased a few. They didn't have that much to buy, honestly. I think they it's already sold, but whatever wine they had, I took home. So uh, Rucker is a, a former marine and financial analyst turned winemaker. Um, and he makes um, these like kind of prestige Bordeaux blends. So mm-hmm. Basically, like the opposite of what we're of what we're drinking right now, um, and he like he has every right, given what he does, given you know the money that goes into it, given you know the kind of wines he makes, to be totally insufferable. But uh, Rucker is a lovely human being. Um, uh, so yeah, and, you say that in the most loving way. No, no, no. It's it's, it's great. No, and, and and I think you know that's kind of fun I, for the, for a, a dynamic wine industry to really you know evolve for it to thrive. You need you know the the old Westminsters of the world pushing the envelope for the sake of you know, these what are more affordable, kind of dynamic, interesting, you know, easy drinking wines. And then you need the record drinks of the world, you know, kind of pushing the envelope for the sake mm. of like the prestige cuvées uh, of the world. And, you know, I think having those different sensibilities, you know, really, um, you know, enlivens uh, the, the local drinking community in important ways. The other thing that's kind of cool to me about this one is, is that uh, we have a lot of challenges locally when it comes to winemaking. So... People don't think of D.C., the Mid-Atlantic, as a terribly wet place, but we actually get more rainfall annually than Seattle. It's been so rainy around and, here. Uh, so to that point, a lot of local winemakers, when asked about uh, climate change, will point to uh, more dramatic rain events yes. uh, locally, and, and that is something that a lot of meteorological models are pointing toward for the sake of our future. So if we're going to make decent wine here, we need to find grapes that are well-suited to those conditions. Yes. And and that is not Cabernet Sauvignon in most places. That is the Albariños of the world, because mm. Albariño... Um, being from green Spain, they, they actually get as much rain as we do there. And it's a grape that has these really thick skins and uh, it's high in, in malic acid, which is like that crunchy green apple acid. Yes, so yes. It, it, it has that, you know, kind of verve, um, but it has this like bright fruitiness. And so um, it's uniquely suited uh, to the problematic conditions that we have here for the sake of, you know, grapes that, you know, don't do as well with their feet wet. That makes so much sense because yeah. I don't, we've had so much rain. We've had flooding issues throughout the region. I mean, we just were talking about the flooding, the flash flooding in Northeast DC at uh, the district doggy center where they had water up to their, beyond their knees and they were having problems with their dogs and now their shop. And I just feel like we are talking about weather events all the time in terms of too much rain. Yeah, this is where I feel like this is what you share in common with a lot of winemakers because winemakers universally are weather geeks. Uh, and they have all the weather apps. But I feel like as a local news person, you kind of by default become, You have to know, yeah, yeah. right. And I love the weather here. We've had some beautiful August weather. It hasn't been as hot, but we're definitely dealing with the effects of climate change for sure on different levels. Everything that's extreme is becoming more extreme. That's how our meteorologists describe it. Yeah, yeah, and, and, yeah exactly. And it's not just about the mercury rising. Yeah. You know, it's, it's exactly. about the kind of weather events that we're having. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, just to, to pivot back to, you know, kind of our our proud local roots. Uh, what do you love so much about this place as a person that spent your entire life here? Oh my gosh, I really do feel like you meet people from all walks of life. Uh, I, as a storyteller, love to hear people's stories. And if you just sit down, it doesn't have to be like you said, from the different wines. It doesn't have to be someone who has accomplished anything that most people would think is um, prestigious in any... Newsworthy. Like, right. Ex- but in terms of... Exactly. But if you spend five minutes to talk to someone and get to know their story, so many people have something to teach you. And if you take the time to listen and get to know people, you will find someone is going to teach you a lesson about life or something about yourself or something about the world that will you'll carry with you. And I think this area just has so many incredibly cool people. And the diversity of the people um, and the heart that the people carry here, I think what is what makes it special. What misconceptions would you want to kind of correct for non-Washingtonians? Well, the two of us sitting right here, that you're <laughs> from BCC High School and I'm from Paint Branch High School, that nobody is from here, I think is a common misconception. I meet tons of people who, even if they're not from here, like born and raised, that have some have settled roots here or they have family here or they have some connection here and that's not just Chanchon City. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I feel. Yeah, that's a yeah, exactly. You know, that's a place with multi-generational. Yeah. Um, and you know, that's certainly I mean, historically, um, that's been the case uh, through, throughout the city, but I think it's, it's 
you know, true regionally on a, on a broader, on a broader scale. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, so, uh, you having just celebrated your, your 20th anniversary at the station are, you know, this huge part of the station's identity. Uh, where do you, where do you go from here? And yeah. Wow, that's such a good question. You know, I feel like I have reached the point in my career and at my time with NBC that has allowed me the opportunity to work on stories I want to work on. So I feel like I'm going to use that leverage and experience and knowledge and a little, you know, a little clout to explore stories I want to do. And I think the food fair episodes are definitely, uh, episode segments are definitely something I want to explore. Are those and work available on. uh, online? For, yes, yeah. yes. And I'm trying to think what did I just recently, my memory. Is also terrible. Uh, it's it's Friday. It's Friday, she and woke I woke up at right. two at, at two o'clock in the morning. Yes, thank you. Um, uh, but I recently did, for example, a story in two fifty two barbecue um, in Prince George's County. I mean, there are other other locations now, but these immigrants who who said that barbecue saved my life, and they oh, wow. were working so hard because they knew that they wanted to create something that was true to their roots and true to be, like achieving the American dream. And now they opened up this great barbecue shop and they opened up a second location and talking about living out their American dream. Um, and then the, the, the wife um, talking about how much her grandmother influenced her. When I hear people's stories beyond just the food, it, that's what makes me want to do my job um, because everyone has a story. Yeah, and, and I feel like equally... Um, food, especially, you know, in those immigrant settings is such of an important part of the coming together of the sense yeah. of community. And again, I'm not, they have such a, just look at it online, the 252 segment I did, because uh, the husband and wife team really talked about how they achieved their dreams and how they weren't going to be able to stand this country until they were able to get all the work permits and the visas and everything they needed um, on this like shoestring budget and shoestring dream. And here they are. It's incredible. I can't remember all of it. Honestly, like I said, I'm at the end of my day yeah. <laughs> on a yeah, Friday. Yeah. So forgive me. But that's what I mean about telling stories that um, might be meaningful to someone beyond just I love barbecue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think, you know, for the sake of someone that's spent their entire life here, there's this like hyper specificity. There's this, you know, locality to it, mm -hmm. um, you know, that makes it all the more special. For sure. Can I ask you about your... Yeah love of what's changed, especially being here and the food scene and what you've noticed and yeah. what you hope to see, what's lacking. Yeah, so um, I, I don't know. I, th I think we're still in this weird post-pandemic moment where people are not sure if, if they want to engage the world the way they did before. You know, my, my hope is that, you know, that will, going into the fall, you know, um, people just just be wanting to engage uh, public life more than they have over the last couple of years, and um, you know there's some markets where this happened already. It, it feels like you know DC is a you know for the sake of public health a, a very responsible market, but you know sometimes you know I, I just wish you know we were kind of moving forward uh, with, with things with things a little bit, and I just want to see the city you know transcend you know the vagaries of political power. You know I, I want to see you know, the vibrant local arts scene, you know, encompassing, you know, food and music. And, and honestly, for the sake of music, DC doesn't get the credit it deserves. You know, it's just like, you know, center of, you know, uh, hardcore punk, you know, uh, go-go music. And, you know, there are for a city of our size, you know, we've given birth to a lot of like cultural movements that, you know, have, have gained tremendous, you know, national and international traction. And I, I want more people to appreciate that. And, uh, you know, I, I love that this is, you know, the kind of market where people have a sense of a rising tide lifting all boats. You know, it's not New York. It's not, you know, San Francisco. In those markets, I feel like people are just kind of fighting for, you know, the same, you know, sliver of the 1%. I and, agree, yeah. And, you know, this is a wealthy area. I'm not going to pretend otherwise. And, you know, I deal in wine, sure. which is, you know... Um, you know, equally, um, you know, something that, um, you know, historically has been, you know, the domain of the of the privilege. But um, I'm excited to, you know, see more of those opportunities to become available to, to everybody throughout the city and, and to see the, the scene grow um, and, and evolve. And I hope that continues to happen, you know, not only for these bastions of, you know, Michelin starred fine dining, but also for, you know, the barbecue joints of the, of the world. And I think we're seeing more of that just in terms of the way people are wanting to access uh, restaurants. And, you know, I hope it, I hope it continues, but I, I just want to see everybody 
you know, as a small business owner, I want to see everybody financially, you know, strive yeah. and, and not, you know, not continue to be in a case where a position where, you know, right now, you know, we're still worrying whether people will come back um, and whether, you know, we'll be able to staff our restaurants. And, um, you know, there are larger structural economic forces at, at work there that are entirely out of our, you know, control. And, you know, this whole coming out of pandemic moment has been, you know, much more fits and starts than the light switch that we flicked in, in, in 2020. And uh, I think they're still, like you said, you know, more than anyone that you're still feeling the ramifications yeah, totally. of the last two years. My goodness. Uh, what was that like on the, on the anchor desk? It was still, we're still separated on our studio. So we usually sit close together right next to each other where we can put our arms around each other. And and we went back for (laughs) a couple of weeks and then it was Omicron and all the variants. And now we're back to the edge of the studio. And there are still people who are working from home. So it really has not gone gone back to what it was at all. When... uh pandemic first descended, were you reporting from home or were you, al- were you always we, in the studio? I went live from home a couple of weeks nice. and realized it, it's not sustainable for the kind of work I do. Unless yeah. you're really set up. If I was having a technical problem, I'm not, as I mentioned, not technologically savvy. And uh, I had a co-anchor who once joked that I'm a terrible Asian because I can't oh, wow. do tech. <laughs> they took it there. <laughs> I can't <age> it. <laughs> um, uh, so if there was, we would do the live shot on my phone. I mean, that's how Oh wow! people don't understand. Number one, our phones are very high tech. Yeah. But if I'm doing a live, tech, a live shot on my phone and it says problem with the latency and low, you know, whatever it said on the phone, I'm like, I don't know what this means. I don't know how to fix it. Yeah. And so it's in the middle of the night. Um, I have my family sleeping in my house, trying to figure out the lighting, trying to fit. And just was not, you know conducive to making a really fine broadcast and we tried it because it was important to do we need to rotate people out but once we realized okay there has to be a different way to do it we separated people on the anchor desk uh fewer people in terms of writing producing staff those who could work from home with a setup and a computer who don't have to be on tv with lights uh microphone all that then we could kind of space out the newsroom so there are fewer people working inside and still getting a quality product on air. Yeah. You know, it, it wasn't perfect, and it yeah. still isn't because we're still dealing with these issues. And, and Zoom's changed. I mean, think about how much Zoom has changed our lives in terms of doing interviews. We'll never drive to Baltimore again to get an interview because now we can set it up on the computer and we can use that as part of our segment, right? Yeah. I mean, it's going to be different. Well, and the, the, the level of like fluency for the sake of the public has, sure. has really changed. Right, right, uh, right. People were forced to, you know, engage that technology and, you know, they didn't have that, you know, kick in the ass before. Um, uh, oh, uh, it's been such a pleasure to have you. Uh, and as I uh, threatened earlier, I have a bit of verse uh, um, just to kind of play us out with this. Uh, I was, you know, doing digging, this feels a little on the nose, but there's a really amazing uh, community of Korean American um, uh, women uh, writing poetry. Um, and uh, I, I was trying to find the right uh, poem uh, for you for the sake of that community and stumbled upon one from uh, an author named uh, Marcy Calabretta Canciabello. Um, she is uh, a Korean, incidentally. She's a Korean and, you know, um, you know plus. Uh, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, uh, but she has a great um, uh, kind of poetic tome called Hour of the Ox. And this is a poem called Ode to Hunger. What's kind of cool about it is it is dedicated to E.J. Ko who herself is a Korean-American poet, and they've collaborated on translation of Korean poems. And uh, E.J. Ko has this amazing, she's probably more famous of the two, she has this memoir called Magical Language of Others, which is a beautiful book. Um, and uh, you know, I, sh- I should you know, highly recommend, but uh, that's how I kind of uh, came about this one. This is a, a, short, a short poem uh, uh, for the sake of your early wake call, but uh, give you Ode to Hunger. Or rather, to you as you are, as you are full of many hungers, storms, dragging rain through clouds, as fine-toothed combs snarl, then smooth. Beautiful. You're the best, Bill. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, thank you. And where, where can listeners find you, Yang? You can find me on NBC4 every morning from 4 to 7 a.m. for you early risers. I think once the fall and people head back to school and kind of back into their routine... People get up earlier, yeah. but the pandemic has changed that too. But find me on NBC4. It's the NBC station in Washington. And you can always find me online, NBCWashington.com, for all my food segments. And you're, you're active on, you know, the gram oh, and Twitter yes, too. Oh, yes, of course. Uh, Instagram at Unyang, E-U-N-Y-A-N-G-D-C. And on Twitter at Unyang NBC. <laughs> and Facebook for work, but it's not my favorite medium.
Oh, okay. Um, you don't do any Instagram. I'm the worst. Uh, I do it. I do it through. Uh, that will change, though. So um, uh, we are going to set up a uh, an Instagram handle for this. Uh, Excellent. Uh, cast. Yes. Uh, uh, that will be uh, at uh, the universe in a glass, I believe. Uh, <laughs> don't quote me on that. Reserve the right to change this in post production. Uh, but you can find us. Uh, find the wines we drank today. It's La Cana. Uh, Rias Baixas Alborino from Jorge Ordonez and um, the Old Westminster uh, Home Vineyard Alborino. You can find those at Revelers Hour uh, across from our studio at the Line Hotel. Uh, thank you all so much for joining us. Uh, stay thirsty and stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs>